Precious Father, this morning, we rejoice that it is once again time for camp meeting. But Father, we would not just desire to come to camp meeting to see our friends, to visit with other campers, to come and eat the camp food and and eat our veggie links and soy ice cream and all the wonderful things that we have at camp meeting. We're not just here for that, Lord. We're here to be transformed by the living Christ. We want Him to speak to our hearts. We want Him to dwell in our hearts. We want to be changed by the power of the living Word today. We want to experience, Lord, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We've been receiving drops of blessing for decades in the Adventist church. We've seen wonderful things happen in the Adventist church, but Lord, we would receive the fullness of the Spirit today. We would open our hearts this morning, Father. We would confess our sins to You. We would cast them away. And by the power of Your living Spirit in us, Lord, we would be victorious over sin. And we would go forth as Your church, Lord, to win souls to Christ. So, Father, please, today, let Your presence fill this place, but more importantly, let it fill our hearts. Let it fill this body temple which You have given to us. And may our minds, our hearts, and our lips be saturated with Your praises and with the promises of Your Word and the presence of Your Spirit. This morning we ask, Lord, do a work in us that we cannot do ourselves. And when we leave this place, Father, may we not be the same. We ask this in the sweet name of Your Son, Jesus. Let all God's people say, Amen. I want to begin this morning with a story. There was a young lady that was attending one of my churches. And I'm not going to tell you which church and who it is, because if I tell you the name, you're going to know the person, or you're going to at least know someone that they're associated with. But this young lady was in her early 20s, and she had attended... Adventist elementary schools. She had attended Adventist uh, the middle school. She had attended the Adventist Academy, and she had just graduated with her bachelor's degree from Andrews University. Sweet, sweet young lady, uh, beautiful character. She was just a sweetheart, and she had come to work at a place near where I was pastoring. And this young lady uh, was just had just gotten married. She was um, I won't even tell you the degree she had because I don't want you to try to figure out who it is. But this young lady had gone through all of our schools and she came to me one day after a sermon that I had preached and she said, you know, Pastor, I'm not even exactly sure what I believe. She says, I've gone through all of our schools. I have an Adventist education. And by the way, dear friends, this is not a knock against Adventist education. I believe in that. We'll just get that out of the way, okay? I believe in that. But she said, I've gone through all of our schools and she says, I have no idea what our church believes. She says, I'm not even exactly sure if I should keep the Sabbath or not. I mean, if you grow up in the church and you go to our schools and you're not even sure why or if you should keep the Sabbath, I would say that's a bit troubling. How many of you would agree with that? And she said, I'm not sure which direction to go. And she told me, she said, my senior year in high school, I had to write a paper and the paper was on Ellen G. White. And I said, well, that's interesting. What did you find? She said, well, actually, I wrote my paper against Ellen White. 
She says, I looked up all kinds of research and I, and I wrote, it was like a 10-page paper on why I didn't believe Ellen White really was a prophet of God. And I was just blown away. So here's this young lady. Fortunately, praise God, we were about to do a, start a revelation series in the next two weeks. And I said, hey, listen, why don't you come to this series and I, I promise you that by the end of this series, you're going to have confidence in the Bible, you're going to have confidence in Christ, you're going to have confidence in the Adventist message, and you're going to have confidence in the Adventist church. And she says, all right. She says, I've got nothing to lose. So she came to the meetings, and night after night, she soaked those meetings up. She could not believe. We went through all the prophecies of Scripture. I preached Christ. Listen, friends, some people will say, well, why do we have to have these revelation seminars? Why do we have to have these these, why can't we just preach about Jesus? I, didn't, I can't tell you a revelation seminar I have not preached, or I have preached, that Christ has not been the center of. If we preach these meetings properly, we can preach Christ, we can preach prophecy, and we can preach, t- preach the truth of God all in sync and all in harmony because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? The book of Revelation says it is the revelation of who? It of Jesus. Prophecy and Christ go hand in hand. The truth of God's Word and Christ go hand in hand. Amen? Amen. So she came and she not only found Christ, but she found the truth. She found hope and beauty and prophecy. And she found that the Bible could be trusted, that the messages therein were valid because of the prophecies that spoke to her heart night after night. Not only that, friends, she found confidence that the Adventist church is not just another movement is or not a movement but it's not just another denomination it's not just another church on the corner of the street with 14 others but it is a divine prophetic movement of destiny amen. how many could say amen? amen how many of you believe that this morning amen. you wouldn't come out at seven o'clock in the morning if you didn't believe that would you unless you were searching for it amen how many of you know let me ask a question this morning and probably this group will be higher than most but how many of you understand the contents of the prophecy found in Revelation chapter, let's just say 12. Let me see your hands. How about chapter 13? You know about the mark of the beast? Two beasts? How about chapter 14? What's in the chapter 14? Three angels' messages. But let me ask you this. How many of you are familiar with, and raise your hands high because I want to see them, the contents of Revelation chapter 10? All right. The number dropped by about two-thirds. Dear friends, if you really want to have confidence and understanding the Adventist church as a divine movement of prophecy, you must study Revelation chapter 10. You must. Because if you study that chapter, you would never have another doubt that the Adventist church was called by God in times like these. You will understand why you should be an Adventist and not some other denomination. Because this is not a denomination, it's a movement. How many say amen? So this young lady came to that seminar and she, her mind was blown away. And she said, I am so thankful. She says, I used to be afraid of prophecy. She said, I've had the book Great Controversy on my shelf for years, even though she had written a paper against the author. She said, I had this, this book on my shelf for years. And she says, I was so afraid to read it. She says, but after the seminar, I'm not afraid. And in fact, she said, just prior to her coming to the church, she said she had had a dream in which Christ returned to the earth and she was unprepared to meet Him. And she said, what do I do? She was trembling and afraid. 
And the voice from heaven said, read that book, Great Controversy. And so she read that book, and now she has very great confidence in the Scripture and the Lord's truth. Amen? But this story illustrates a great problem, I believe, that's rising. Not really rising, it's really, we're sitting right in the middle of it. And the Adventist church. And that is, we have a group of people, in fact, young people. I find that when young people understand our message, they don't leave the church. But if they've not understood it, if they've not ever had it shared with them, then often those are the ones leaving. And I meet many parents who say, well, you know, I don't want to share that with them because I don't want to scare them and I don't want to push it down their throats when so many young people are begging to be told what we believe. But this is a great growing problem within our church that we have two tenets that are becoming very, very clear within the church. Number one, you have an Adventist culture And on the other hand, you have an Adventist faith. Now, what's the difference between the two? You cannot have a biblical culture that will carry you through the judgment unless you also have a biblical faith. Are you with me, yes or no? Cultures are very nice because cultures make us very comfortable, very happy, and very content. But they are deadly and lethal. Are you with me? Let me just make that clear. They are deadly and lethal. And this is the problem that's growing, friends. It's a division that's taking place. Now, there's always been attacks on the church from the outside, but in the last days, we're warned very emphatically that there will be not just attacks from the outside, but great and lethal attacks from the inside. How many of you, as you've observed over the last decade or so, you see that taking place? All over the world, it's taking place. And what you see happening in the world and in our nation, you kind of see happening in a microcosm within the church. Now, we're not here to get into politics, but we're not going to do that. But you see that taking place very, very clearly. Now, this is not a new division. This is not a new thing. This is a thing that has actually happened all throughout Scripture. And we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 25. Did everybody bring your Bibles? Let me see your Bibles this morning. If you've got your Bibles, hold them up. Amen. Bring the sword, yes? Because when you come to the meeting, it's still a little bit dark outside, and there might be a lion walking around seeking to devour you. you got to have that sword ready, amen? Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to start there. We're going to talk a little bit about Jacob and Esau here for just a minute. Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 21. If you're there, say amen. amen. Genesis 25. Wait a minute, where are we here? I flipped my page. There we go. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. God would be it that all of our husbands in the Michigan Conference were pleading for their wives. Amen? Praying before the Lord for their families. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived... But the children struggled together within her. Imagine that, ladies. Struggling going on within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. 
and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they named him, they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so they called his name Jacob, which mean, uh, Isaac was 60 years old. And the word Jacob means what? Does anybody remember? Deceiver or supplanter, right? So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Jake, uh, Esau because of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, these two boys, from the very beginning, were together. Yes or no? Right from the womb. They were struggling within. They were struggling when they came out. They were struggling after they came out. But these two boys, many of us don't really think about this, but had a very similar upbringing. If you think about this, who was their father? Not Jacob. Isaac. Who was their grandfather? Abraham. So do you suppose that as they grew up with Abraham and Isaac and probably many others that were with them, that were men of faith, do you suppose that they heard all the stories from Adam all the way down to their day, yes or no? Do, they under, do you suppose that they understood what their identity was, yes or no? Do you suppose that they understood the truth, what do you think? Both were raised in the church, yes or no, quote unquote. We have those phrases, we have those isms in Adventism, don't we? PK, MK, we know the truth. We were raised in the church. We know all those isms, right? These two boys fit both of those ideologies perfectly. You could rightly say that in this day and age, in 2017, they grew up in the Adventist church. They went to Adventist elementary school. They went to Adventist academy, probably here to Glob. They went to Andrews University. You understand the parallel here, right? They both had the same experience growing up, yet they responded to that experience both very differently. Are you with me? Yes or no? As time grew and as, time pa- as the boys grew and time passed, Jacob continued to grow and develop a love for spiritual things. Esau continued to yield to his base fleshly passions. And as they both sought those things, the distance between them spiritually began to separate greater and greater the older they got. Do you understand me? Are you with me there? And so the point finally came when Esau had zero interest in his father's spiritual influence on his life. But Jacob desperately wanted to have the birthright. Are you with me? So I want you to see something here. I'm going to read to you for just a minute from the book Patriarchs and Prophets. And uh, this is from the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 178. Notice this. Isaac made known to his sons these privileges and conditions and plainly stated that Esau as the eldest was the one entitled to the birthright. But Esau had no love for devotion. Think about that for just a minute. No inclination to a religious life. The requirements that accompanied the spiritual birthright were an unwelcome and even hateful restraint to him. The law of God, which was the condition of the divine covenant with Abraham, was regarded by Esau as a yoke of bondage. Think about that for just a minute. Bent on self-indulgence, he desired nothing so much as liberty to do as he pleased. 
To him, power and riches, feasting and reveling were happiness. He gloried in the unrestrained freedom of his wild, roving life. Rebecca remembered the words of the angel, and she read with clearer insight than did her husband the character of their sons. She was convinced that the heritage of the divine promise was intended for Jacob. She repeated to Isaac the angel's words, but the father's affections were centered upon the eldest son, and he was unshaken in his purpose. Now listen about Jacob, the opposite. Jacob had learned from his mother the divine intimation that the birthright should fall to him. And he was filled with an unspeakable desire for the privileges which it would confer. Now listen to what Jacob was seeking after. It was not the possession of his father's wealth that he craved. The spiritual birthright was the object of his longing. To, continue, to commune with God as did righteous Abraham. To offer the sacrifice of atonement for his family. To be the prognator of the chosen people and the promised Messiah to inherit the immortal possessions embraced in the blessing of the covenant. Here were the privileges and honors that kindled his most ardent desires. Day and night, the subject occupied his thoughts until it became the absorbing interest of his life. Two very different brothers, yet raised in the same faith. What was the difference? Esau desired the what? The benefits of the flesh. Now listen to this, friends. Esau did not separate himself from his father's culture, did he? He did not remove himself from, his, from, the, from the faith and the household of faith that his father possessed. But rather, in the culture, he indulged himself in the passions of the flesh hoping that he would get some kind of earthly benefit from the culture and the faith that his father possessed. Jacob, on the other hand, sought nothing more than communion with God. Now, Jacob really went about it the wrong way, didn't he? And he paid for it for the rest of his life. His whole life was a result of that. But yet he desired that communion with God, he wanted that blessing because he saw down the road into the future. Jacob could see with a vision beyond himself, beyond today. Esau could only see what was for today. Now, let's continue to read here in Genesis chapter 25 and notice this. Verse 29, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that, red sa that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and then he ate and drank a rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now let me tell you, friends, a skeptic of the Bible would read that passage and think, what a ridiculous story. Some of you might have read that story and say, why is that even there? But it demonstrates something that is vitally crucial for us today. Esau, from his birth, had so fed his passions and his flesh, even while existing in the house of faith of Abraham, that he reached a place where spiritual things meant absolutely nothing to him. And he was ready to sell the birthright 
of his own house that he might lead his family spiritually just to partake of an indulgence of his flesh for not even a week or a month or a year, but just for one moment, one hour. He was ready to sell the spiritual blessing of God for one happy moment of fleshly pleasure. My dear friends today, how many of us in the Seventh-day Adventist church are existing in a culture because it's a very nice culture and we are seeking the blessing of earthly gain in this life by living this culture? Now let me ask you a question. Does the Adventist culture provide earthly blessings? Now, don't, I mean, this is not heresy, but just, just bear with me for a minute. Don't even think about the heavenly right now. Just think about the earthly. Does the Adventist culture bear earthly blessings, yes or no? Is it possible that there are people within the church today who embrace the culture simply to get earthly gain while at the same time they are, their hearts are raving and wild after earthly passions and the passions of the flesh. What do you think this morning, yes or no? And are we today, some of us sitting here among us even, maybe selling our birthright on a daily basis for some kind of earthly indulgence that the Lord God of heaven has forbidden? And we have embraced a culture and we think that in this culture we might be safe, we might be comfortable, we might be in, in a place where, where, where we're going we're gonna to be protected, and we think somehow that God's blessing is upon us. We think somehow that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life because we have our name in the Advent movement. We have our name on the church books for God's end time church. Let me tell you what, friends, today, it's one thing to have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and another thing to have it written in the, in the books of the church membership. Now, let me tell you what. The church membership is very important, amen? You need to be attached to the body, yes or no? But it is not going to save you. An Adventist culture will not save you. Are you with me, yes or no? Let me make this statement right here. The selling of his birthright for a temporary earthly indulgence which influenced the course of his life. Are you with me? When he sold that birthright, it changed the whole course of his whole life. That's how serious sin is today. You indulge in it just a little bit and you think to yourself, oh, well, you know, like if it was going to if I knew that this was going to directly impact my wife I wouldn't do it but since it's not going to really impact anyone I can do it by myself it's really not that big of a deal Romans 14:7 says no man lives to himself and no man what dies to himself no man is an island and it may not directly impact that person but it's going to change who you are you with me because sin changes you. And the same way that Christ changes you, sin changes you. And the reason that Christ has to change us when we accept Him is because sin has changed us into a carnal nature. Do you understand? And Christ is changing us away from it. So if, if Christ had to change us from that sinful nature and we go back to it, how many of you think that that, that change is going to take place again on the negative scale? What do you think? So the sin changes who you are and it begins to change how you relate to people. 
It changes how you relate to your wife. It changes how you relate to your children. It changes how you relate to those in the church. Are you with me, yes or no? One sinful indulgence can change the course of our whole life. What do you think this morning? It can do it. It, it, that, That one sin in itself may or may not change my radical, but it sets me, may change my life radically, but it sets me on a course. It gets me one degree off the path of God, and the further I go down that course, the wider the gap gets between where I am and where God wants me to be. Are you with me, friends? So this wrestling between a culture and a faith goes all the way back. However, friends, praise God that Jacob did not continue to pursue that same course. How many can say amen? Amen. But at Bethel, he found a life-altering power through faith in Christ. When he was there laying on the ground, he had fled because he had deceived his brother and his brother was about to kill him. He fled with only his staff in his hand and the clothes on his back and he was laying on the ground trying to sleep with his head on a rock. That's where sin will put you, between a rock and a hard place. And he's laying there asleep. And he has that vision in the middle of the night. The ladder from heaven to earth. How many of you could say amen? amen? And the angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And it was there that he made that covenant with God to serve him because he had encountered Jesus. And that ladder was Christ. And hope was given to him that not all was lost. And he embraced that hope. He embraced that faith, that trust that Jesus would intercede for him and his sins could be forgiven. How many of you are thankful for that ladder this morning? That ladder is for us as well. What do you think? But Jacob understood that a culture itself would not save him. The faith of his father and his grandfather would not save him. You understand today, friends, that God does not have grandchildren. There will be no grandchildren in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe your grandchildren but not God's grandchildren, because God only has what? Children. You do not get to heaven because you have a culture. Because, well, I'll talk about that more later. Because you're a fifth-generation Adventist, it just doesn't work. Praise God that there was a wrestling. Esau was immersed in the faith of his fathers as a child, but his preference for the culture of his faith rather than possessing the faith itself did not seek Uh, did not lead him to seek transformation of heart and character as did Jacob. How many of you say, I want to be a Jacobite? Amen? I want to be an Israelite. Yes? Praise the Lord. I was testing you there. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 3. We find a very similar story. And as you're turning there, I'll just add that Jacob was seeking the blessing and the benefit of the culture simply for earthly gain. I mentioned that earlier, but I wanted to remind you of that. Matthew chapter 3, and with John the Baptist. And the Bible says in verse 1, are you there? I still hear pages. If you there, say amen. amen. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are we called to be like John the Baptist in the last days? Seventh-day Adventist, what do you think? So if John had a message of repentance for the first coming of Christ, do you suppose today that Seventh-day Adventists ought to have a message of repentance for the second coming of Christ? How many of you think that this morning? And so he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm going to drop down to verse 4. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair 
with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Some people say, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why that text is even in there. Why do we need to know that about John? It's very important why we need to know that about John. Because John was a peculiar person. He was what? A peculiar person. What is a peculiar person? It's different than others, right? And if we're called to be John the Baptist in the last days, we're also called to be what? Peculiar. Yes? Peter says we're peculiar people. Now what's interesting about John is this. Now just, just, just bear patiently with me. He ate differently. Say that again. He ate differently. He dressed differently. He what? And he spoke differently. Yes or no? Now, some people say today, well, you know, Pastor, if I don't dress like the people I'm with who are non-Adventists, then I'm not going to have an influence on their life. If they see me eating healthy food and good food, I'm not going to be able to really have an impact on them. They're just going to laugh at me. And that's true that they might laugh at you. But guess what? They also laughed at Jesus. But if you notice something, it's not what John ate that gave him power. It's not what John dressed like that gave him power, even though those things were distinct about him and he needed to follow them. Those things don't give us spiritual power. They just clear out the obstacles that allow the spiritual power to come. Are you with me? And to continue. But if you notice something, people didn't laugh and scorn at John, did they? Look here in verse 5. It says, Then Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. John had such a godly power in his life because he communed with the living Christ. And he had a clear mind because of what he ate. Amen? And he had such a power in his life that the people could not help to be drawn to him in spite of how he looked and what he ate. Which was, by the way, some people say, well, those things aren't normal. Well, listen to this. People say, well, I'm in the, more, I'm in the minority if I dress a certain way and etc. if I dress modestly or whatever. Let me say this. You might be in the minority in the earth by living like God calls us to live, but you're a majority in the universe. Let me say that again. <laughs> living like a Seventh-day Adventist, you might be a minority on the earth, but you are the majority in the universe. I mean, you could say amen. Because the rest of the universe is standing with us and standing with God. Amen? So despite the fact that John dressed funny and he ate funny, he still had the power of God in his life and people were drawn to him. I mean, you could say amen. So now it's safe to eat vegetarian in public. Amen? Praise God today. Now, look at this. All the Jerusalem went out to him and were, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when many... When, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's not exactly something you'd like to say to your baptismal candidates on Sabbath morning. Right, Pastor Mike? You don't want to say that to your baptismal candidates. Pastor Sean, is it, would you agree with that? You don't really want to say that because it's hard enough to get them there. But John the Baptist knew their hearts, and he said, Look, you dirty little snakes in the grass. What are you thinking? Why are you even here? Yes? Because God had somehow revealed to him their hearts. And the next line is very powerful. He says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of what, friends? 
worthy of repentance. Repentance has become a dirty word in the Adventist church because we need to just love people. The best way to love somebody is to put your arm around them and lead them right down to the cross that they may kneel before a crucified Savior and see the wickedness of their sins and they might be willing to confess them before Him and receive salvation. Amen? Now I'm going to preach on this love this week. It's called A Love That Deceives. You're going to see that later. I don't forget which day it is. But look what he says. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And dear friends, we, many of us in the Adventist church, we need repentance. We need repentance from Laodiceanism. We need repentance from lukewarmness. We need repentance for not following the Lord wholeheartedly. We need repentance from, from, from going our own way and constantly going astray. What do you think this morning? And then he says, verse 9, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So that was in John's day. So let me put it to you in terms today. Do not think to yourselves to say, I'm a fifth generation Seventh-day Adventist. Because God doesn't care. It's a blessing to you to be a fourth or fifth generation Adventist. How many of you agree with that this morning? I did not grow up in the church. I came into the church at 22 years old. In fact, this year marks 15 years of the Adventist church, and I'm praising God. I'd like to celebrate the next 15 in heaven. Amen? But I'm so thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist. In fact, I think it was, uh, I forget which one, but one of the old, old great preachers, he said whenever he'd be out in public and he'd get in a spiritual conversation with people, they'd say, well, what, what denomination are you? And he'd say, He'd kind of tuck on his belt and pull his suspenders. He says, well, I don't mean to boast, but I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Amen? I praise God. If it wasn't for Seventh-day Adventist message and the message of the Bible, I'd be dead by now. But friends, it doesn't really matter what generation of Adventist you are. What God intended to be a blessing, many of us have turned into a curse because we've thought to ourselves we can get ourselves into heaven because of the culture rather than the faith of Jesus. Go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And notice what Jesus says here. John chapter 6. Again, the people are looking for Jesus. Jesus disappears and He's looking for the people. Or the people are looking for Him, I should say. John chapter 6 and verse 26. We'll start in verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the blows and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Now I want to make this point, a couple points. These people were following a culture because it had brought great prosperity. Did God bless the Israelites, yes or no? He blessed them. Has God blessed Adventists as his modern day people, yes or no? We have physicians and people that are talented in music and business and all kinds of things. God has blessed. But some have taken advantage of that and just used it for their own gain. 
They missed the point that the culture, the blessing of the culture, was to lead them to the true blessing of the faith. They missed it. And I think many of us today are missing it. They followed Jesus because of the loaves and the fishes, not because of His presence. They ate from His hand, but not from His heart. They followed Jesus to have their stomachs filled with bread rather than their heart filled with His Spirit and His presence. When they revealed that the bread they were searching for was Himself, they began to scoff at Him. And many of us today, when the spiritual component begins to take root in our hearts, we begin scoffing. We begin throwing it off. They wanted to make Him king because He would be able to feed them. Don't miss this one. Religious culture wishes to sit at Jesus' feet, but only to be fed conveniently in this life without any discomfort or preparation for the next life. Culture seeks to eat physical bread while neglecting the spiritual. And there are those who wish to be fed in this life only while sitting at Jesus' feet. They want Jesus to feed them, but not only physical, only physical bread, but not spiritual. But let me tell you, friends, today, a true biblical Adventist faith will seek the spiritual bread even at the cost of the physical bread. Many of us today don't even, like to, don't even want to fast I don't, know, I, I don't know what your personal life is, but we don't even want to go without food for one meal, much less one day. If we thought that, that going to the prayer meeting, if we said, oh, you, you can only go to the prayer meeting if you fast, and many of us would stay behind, we have to have that, that physical comfort. But we're too comfortable. And I believe, friends, that God has been telling the Adventist church for decades that we are too comfortable. Amen. We're too comfortable. Where are you at today? Where are you at this morning and your comfort level? Are you willing to seek that which is spiritual even at the cost of that which is physical? Some people say, well, you know, God blessed me on the Sabbath because I don't have to work anymore and I didn't know what I was going to do. Well, what if God had not have worked it out? What if God thought it was better for your character for you to be fired rather than being able to to work it out, to work. Would you still serve Him? Would you serve Him if you thought that you were going to lose your home? Would you serve Him? Would you seek His blessing in His face even if you thought everything you own was going to be lost? Or do you only seek God because you're getting a physical blessing and your earthly gain is building greater and greater? Are we fair-weather Christians? Or would we forsake all for the Lord Jesus? In modern Adventism today, Jesus gives a parable. Go with me quickly, our last passage, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and the Bible talks about ten virgins. How many of you are familiar with this passage? How many of you understand today that Jesus is referring to those in the Seventh-day Adventist church in the last days through this parable? How many understand that? Ten virgins. Five are wise, five are foolish. All took oil in their lamps, but only five took partial oil, or extra oil, I should say. And while the bridegroom was delayed, verse 5, they all slumbered and slept. We're all sleeping today, aren't we? We seem to be sleeping. At midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. 
They all rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who buy and sell for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready to go in with him went into the wedding, and the door was shut. Let me ask you a question. What does the lamp represent? The Bible. What do the women represent? The churches. What, do the, what does the oil represent? Holy Spirit. So these are, in the last days, Seventh-day Adventist Christians. It didn't say that five had lamps and five didn't. They all had what? They all had a knowledge of the Word of God. They all understood what the book said. Yes or no? But they didn't all have, all of them at one point had the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes or no? Because they all had oil, but some what? Ran out. They were not wise enough to bring extra with them. Yes? Okay, so they reached a place where they ran out of oil and they had to break open the extra and the others didn't have. And they said, hey, go buy from those who sell. Now, let me let me show you this real quick. Revelation 18 and verse 22. Watch this. This is scary. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall no longer be heard in you anymore. Neither craftsmen or any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp. Now listen. Listen if this doesn't sound familiar to Matthew 25. The light of a lamp, verse 23, shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Now let me ask you a question. Who's being spoken to in this passage? Babylon. And if you notice, it has the same language as Matthew 25. So when those five wise virgins says to those who are foolish, go and buy from those who sell. Well, who is selling if, if you're not buying from Christ? Because Christ in Revelation 3 says, buy from me, right? Gold refined in the fire, character, Holy Spirit, ISAB, etc., right? If he says to them, if you're not buying from Christ, and they say go to buy from those who sell, who are they then going to buy from? They're going to buy from Babylon. And that's exactly what happens. Those who are not filled with the Spirit of God in the last days, when those people turn away from the faith, they will be swept away into Babylon. And they will be destroyed. Dear friends, be not foolish in your doings. Be earnest. I've got to say it lovingly because I don't want to sound too harsh. Be earnest in seeking the Spirit of God on a daily basis. Be transformed. Do not risk being one of the foolish virgins. Because the truth is, you don't have to be. You don't have to be one of the foolish virgins. Anyone who wishes and anyone who desires can be one of the wise. But we must be filled with the Spirit of God. We must confess our sins before the living Christ. We must have that experience. A contemporary view of this helps us understand that it's speaking to us. Those who profess Christ with an Adventism but cannot in the life testify and bear fruit of a changed heart 
only admit that they are the product of a nice culture rather than divine grace. Where are you today? Are you simply a part of a wonderful culture? An Adventist culture? Or do you have the Adventist faith living within your hearts? Without an entire surrender of the will, brothers and sisters, we do not experience genuine conversion. Etern- a, a conversion that will lead us to eternal life. And without this conversion, we do not know Christ, nor do we practice self-denial to lead others to Him. That's why we have such a soul-winning problem in our church today. That's why so many Adventists won't testify, won't witness for Christ, won't give Bible studies because we're not converted. And I got a finger pointing at you and I got four back at me. I need a deeper conversion experience. And I'm a pastor. We all need it. We want deliverance from evil as a good godly culture, but we do not want deliverance from sin. We want deliverance from the results of evil upon the world, but we do not want deliverance from sin in our own lives because we keep going back to it. Consequently, this impact leads us to seek our own kingdom rather than God's kingdom. True Adventism, by contrast, the Adventist faith seeks not only escape from the consequence of sin, but more importantly, receives freedom from the root of sin itself through surrender to Jesus and everything. How many of you want to be surrendered to Jesus and everything? As a result, we seek to constantly build up the kingdom of God rather than our own. We would let our house fall to pieces rather than see the house of God in shambles. We would rather deny ourselves whatever it is that we need than to see the people of God suffer. The Adventist believers, pioneers, used to sacrifice so much for each other and for the cause. Amen? It accepts the plain truth of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy with joy, recognizing that it is out of infinite love and the strong delusion of sin that God gives such straightforward instruction. Anything short of this is a sure indicator that one is just simply culturally Adventist rather than transformed Adventist. We have a culture of faith rather than a faith itself. If we want to have an experience... We have to kneel before the cross this morning. We have to seek God like we've never sought Him before. If we ever at any moment in our lives have the thought, I'm doing okay. I'm good where I'm at. We are immediately in great danger. Because we are told by the prophet of God that the closer we come to Christ, the more truly we see ourselves. And we need to constantly, friends, as uncomfortable as it is, we need to constantly see ourselves for who we really are. How many would agree with that this morning?
We need to recognize who we are because the moment we stop looking is the moment we begin forgetting where we came from. And some people say, well, I grew up in the faith and I didn't really do anything bad. We're all sinners. And you don't have to do drugs and drink alcohol and drink liquor and do all these crazy things in order to have a testimony. You don't have to do all those things in order to be in need of a Savior. You don't have to do all those things in order to recognize that you're a poor, wretched, blind, miserable sinner. You notice I'm pointing at me, not at you. But we need a Savior, do we not? Veggie dogs, Adventist education, modest, all these things are wonderful, but they will not carry us through the judgment. It is only if you know the living Christ and you have by the grace of God lived to the truth that He has revealed to you. Dear friends, today, there's only one remedy for Laodiceanism. It is a transformed heart that can only be given to you by the Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you had that transforming experience? Or are you blindly deceiving yourselves by living in a culture that does not reflect the faith of your fathers? Dear friends, please, I beg you today, do not leave this place without making that decision to have the faith and not just the culture. The culture and the faith can live in harmony with one another. You understand? There's nothing really tentatively bad about the Adventist culture if there is a faith. You understand that? But you cannot have a culture without a faith and expect to go through the gates of heaven. You understand? I want to tell you a story quickly. Several years ago, we had a young man that came to AFCO. He was in his 30s. His name was John Carcano. And he, is a, he was a wonderful guy. He had been in gangs. He had sold drugs to children. He had been in gunfights and knife fights and, and, and all these things for many years. And the Lord Jesus delivered him from all that foolishness and brought him to a place where he was in a living connection with him. He came to AFCO and he went on to do Bible work in a church for several years, and about seven or eight years. But his faith began to struggle, and he left Bible work and went back home. And John, it wasn't long before John quit going to church. It wasn't long before John was beginning to see his old self rise up. And before long, he was listening to crazy music that he knew he shouldn't. He was eating things he knew he shouldn't. And day by day, it was something new that was dragging him further away from Christ. And he got to the place where he started partying again, started drinking, started using some drugs, started to what was preparing himself to begin selling drugs again. He said he was about to go down and purchase a gun, a handgun at the store, and uh, he was going to get back into that lifestyle. And all the while, he said he kept feeling the Lord Jesus pulling on his heart, tugging on his heart, come back, come back, come back. And he said, my heart is growing too hard. I cannot come back. He said, God, if you want me to come back, you're going to have to do it. Things started happening in his life. Amen? 
He wouldn't work. Out of all that, he would not work on the Sabbath. He was working at J.C. Penney's. But he would go and party on the Sabbath, but he wouldn't work on the Sabbath. Praise God, there was still some kind of root there. Amen? He was at a party on a Sabbath. And he met this guy at the party, never really met him before. And the guy said, hey, let's go out back and do some hardcore drugs. So he said, okay, let's go. They went out back, and the guy was getting the stuff ready. And he said, John says, hang on, I'm going to go over here and use the bathroom, and I'll be right back. Well, he goes over behind some buildings while this guy's over here, and a gang comes out of the shadows. Now, this just happened a few months ago. I was just in Advent Hope in Loma Linda, and he was telling me the story. And uh, a gang came out, and, you know, he's on their turf, so they start beating him up. And they're beating John up, and he's laying on the ground, and they're kicking him and punching him. He showed me scars, and in fact, the cut had not fully healed where they were hitting him with something metal in the head. And this other guy sees what's happening. He comes running over there trying to spook them. And they turn their wrath over on this guy. And they start beating this guy up, and he's laying on the ground, and they all pull out knives, and they stab this guy 21 times. And then they all run off. This guy goes to the hospital and dies about three days later. And John begins to recognize that that should have been him who died. Now, wouldn't you know that when he did the research on this guy, an Hispanic fellow, can you guess what his name was? Jesus. And he did some looking on his Facebook, and he found that this guy had once been a Seventh-day Adventist. And he had just written on his Facebook a few days before, he said, even though I'm not practicing this, he said, I believe that this message is true. So for John... I don't know about this guy, but for John, it took a literal man dying in his place named Jesus. The, he should have been the one to die, but this guy died instead. And by a miracle of God, John was saved. I don't know what was going on in this guy's heart. I can't answer that. I can only speak for John, but John recognized. He said, how much clearer can God speak to me? And he came back to the church the next Sabbath rededicated his life to God, and now he's, working with, he's, he's living for Christ. Brothers and sisters today, Christ need not speak so plainly to us because he's spoken to us in his word. Amen? I want to make an appeal today. How many of you this morning would say, Lord Jesus, I want to be having in my heart an Adventist faith rather than just living in a culture? How many of you, let me see your hands this morning. Do you mean it with all your hearts? Amen. Will you grab hold of Christ, the living Christ, and will you plead with Him today to awaken our hearts to not be Laodicean and to follow His truth? Will you make that covenant this morning? Amen. Let's stand together as we pray. Father in heaven this morning, we confess that for many of us, at many times, we've become so comfortable in our culture that we have neglected the faith because a culture will always lead us to great comfort in this life, but a faith will always lead us to great discomfort. But truly, if we want eternal comfort, we must have discomfort in this life. We must have a spiritual unrest that awakens our heart to our need of the Savior 
And we need Christ living within us, Lord. Too many times we've sought to close every door, but today, Father, this morning, we would open the door of faith. We would open that door and reach out our hands to Jesus who's reaching out to us. This morning, Father, we may recognize in our hearts and those who are here standing this morning making that covenant with You, recognizing that they have nothing in themselves to keep the covenant, but they are relying wholly upon You to keep it through them. We may recognize this morning that You need to make changes in our hearts and changes in our lives. And right now, the Holy Spirit, Lord, is speaking to each heart, speaking to each mind, and He's revealing things that need to change to each person. I don't know what those things are, don't need to know, but Lord, You know and they know and You're speaking to them right now. I pray that they would surrender those things to You, that each of us today will surrender those things to You, Father. And may Christ dwell not just partially, not just mostly, but fully within our hearts this morning. And may You pour out the Holy Spirit upon our minds, upon our hearts, upon our lips, and upon our lives today. May we be saturated with Your love, Your grace, Your truth, Your joy, Your peace. And may we have that faith that will endure the judgment and carry us to eternal life. And may our names be written in the Lamb's book of life, O Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' sweet name. Let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.